Hello, everyone. We're glad you found us, and welcome to our podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. We hope you find this show entertaining and informative. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. Hi, everyone. This is Martin, and I'm in Rawlingsford, New Hampshire. Nice early colonial town. And I'm with Alan Breed. How are you doing, Alan? Good. How are you, Martin? Good. And this is the Breed School. And what's the proper term for it? Uh, the Breed School, and we do uh, 18th century furniture by hand. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we've known, I was trying to remember how, when we first met, and I'm scared to say the year, but I think it was in the early 70s. 77, 78, maybe. No, I think it was even earlier than that. It could have been. Yeah. <laughs> when, when did you start at the, uh, you were in Portsmouth, New Hampshire for a while. When did you start in that yeah, building? Well, I moved to Portsmouth after UNH, um, University uh-huh. of New Hampshire, so I moved to Portsmouth in 76, 77. Oh, so it may have been around that time. Yeah. 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 So, okay. you know, we set up shop, so. Yeah. Uh, that's when you and I were doing some work together. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I remember Bill Dobb. Yeah. And where's Bill today? He's, I think, in Deerfield, New Hampshire. A lot of these guys are still around. Yeah, I know Artie's up in New York, Maine. Artie's in New York, and uh, I don't know, Bill Clark is in Portsmouth still. Oh, yeah, Bill Clark. You know, yeah. I'm in the area. It's, people haven't gone too far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, you start. You, you majored in history in, in college. I did. And then um, I saw I was looking on your bio and I saw that you made a you made Chippendale chairs early on. Yeah, I mean the first set of chairs besides Windsor's that I made was a set of Chippendale chairs. And I'm sitting in your first Windsor chair, right? You now. are sitting in my first <laughs> Windsor chair, and it still holds up. How is it good. all right? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> comfortable, by the way. It's not bad. Yeah. Now I've always heard that cha- as far as furniture making, chairs is one of the most difficult pieces to make. Yeah, chairs are tough. I mean, well, you know, you've got all the angles. Yeah, it's, yeah. you've got. Uh, compound angles and the other thing is that structurally they have to be strong right and so uh, the joinery has to be pretty good yeah Um, it's there really aren't that many 90 degree angles and you've got especially Chippendale ones where everything flares out you know the seat flares out and the back expands as it goes up and there's a lot of figuring. I remember I bought a protractor for that specific job, which I still have, because I oh, had to sorry. figure out all these crazy angles, you know. But yeah, um, yeah, making chairs is tricky, and once you make chairs, like making a chest of drawers, is seems pretty <laughs> simple. Yeah. <laughs> now, are you mostly self-taught? Yeah, you are. Yeah. I, well, I worked at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Yeah. Uh-huh. In the seventies, uh, when I was still in college, and, and restoration. Uh, yep, yeah, I worked in the restoration department, so I learned. I learned some critical things there about um, veneering, mm-hmm. hide glue, uh, and I was just around a lot of early furniture. I was working with an Italian trained cabinet maker there. Wow. So yeah. it was a great opportunity. I mean, I didn't yeah. realize what a great opportunity it was mm-hmm. until, you know, one day a girl was in there cleaning some andirons, and she said, you know, where'd you go to school? I said, well, I'm kind of still going to school. And, you know, she graduated from RISD or something and had a degree, and she was washing andirons. You know, and basically, I had a better job than she did. You know? yeah. And I was still in school. I thought, hmm, maybe this is pretty good. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it was a great experience. I mean, I had already been around antiques for my whole life. I'd been interested in, in you know old furniture and stuff, been going to auctions my whole life. And so by the time I got to the museum when I was eighteen or nineteen, I, I, w- I was already 
I'd already seen a lot of stuff, but being at the museum, of course, you know, ratchets it up. And oh, yeah. Because the stuff we were playing with was great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you did you start woodworking, like, early on? Yeah, I started, well, I mean, that, that was where I f- did my first real woodworking under any supervision. It was mm-hmm. at the museum. And uh, I'd done some fooling around at home, repairing some antiques I'd bought, but... I learned some. I learned about shellac and glue and stuff there, and so yeah. after that, I started. Basically, graduated from UNH and opened a shop in Portsmouth, and uh, started doing restoration for um, historical societies, museums, mm-hmm. because I had the references from the MFA. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Now, as a, when we came in this morning, you started uh, cooking some glue. I yeah, see. yeah, it's and a that's high glue. Yeah, is it? And what about shellac? Is that is that cooked as well? No, shellac is just mixed with alcohol. Uh-huh. Um, different flakes. Yeah. Shellac flakes are mixed with alcohol and um, uh-huh. put them in different solutions. Now, I know shellac was used on a lot of early furniture, mm-hmm. but um, it doesn't really hold up. What do you, you know, well, as far as moisture or anything like that goes? No, it's actually a lot tougher than, I, than a lot of people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a shellac finished that's cured and with a coat of wax on it, it's relatively tough. I mean, if you pour a martini on it, obviously the yeah. alcohol is going to dissolve it, but yeah. but general wear and tear, it's pretty tough stuff and it's easy to repair. Uh-huh. Um, for instance, when I do a shellac finish, I rub it down with water, uh-huh. water and rotten stone. So it can take a certain amount of moisture. It's just not prolonged exposure to this stuff because in general, it's actually kind of tough. I mean, they used to use it on floors. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I remember when I was 20 years old, I sought your advice. Probably you can't remember this because that was 30 years ago. Um, but I, I built a replica of a uh, Simon Willard uh, banjo clock. Yeah. And I sought your advice for how to make the wood look older. Not that I was trying. I still have the clock today. Yeah. Not that I was trying to fake it or anything. Right, right. matter of fact, I even signed it inside when I made it. And you told me, I can't remember. I want to say some type of potassium. Potassium for manganese. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it worked like a charm. <clears throat> the only trouble with that is that over time it will fade. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, like sunlight will will oxidize it. Yeah. But generally, like if you made the clock out of mahogany or something, yeah, it did. mahogany is going to darken and probably make up the difference. Yeah. Oh, it kind of like evens out over the time. Yeah, so it probably fade. still looks, has a yeah. nice color to it. Yeah. Know, yeah. yeah. And I used the shellac you told me to use, so yeah. orange shellac. Yeah. 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 And uh, still, still, uh, still running on my wall after all this Good. time. This is 1978, I want to say. Yeah. I think that no, 1980 or so. Yeah, but uh, I remember uh, always enjoying coming to your shop. And like right now, I'm looking at all these beautiful tools you have here. Yeah. And did you buy? You bought? I know you bought some of these planes at one of my auctions at one time. Did you buy them in a lot of? I, well, I've bought tools all over the place. I mean, I, I bought my first tools when I was really. Barely a teenager, uh-huh. um, and I used to go to auctions and, and buy stuff in yard sales, and yeah. I'd just meet these people, you know, and, and I'd always ask them about tools and stuff. And I still have the first chisel I ever bought, you know, really? four dollars. You know? Wow! And uh, like I was saying to someone the other day, you know, when a lot of people start out woodworking, they spend a lot of money on tools, especially nowadays. These guys, you know, retired guys come to my school and they show up with a whole truckload of brand new Lee Nielsen and you yeah. know, fancy stuff, and and I was saying to this guy, it was impossible for me to get into that much trouble back then because of the only tools really around were, were old tools where I was. And, yeah. you know, the new tools I didn't consider because they were too expensive. So I always bought antique tools. Now, I see I see racks and racks. And I'm going to have a video clip um, up on the uh, under the podcast where you can see the shop here. 
but of the uh, molding planes. And I remember you had told me at one time that you actually shape your molding planes a lot of times, the blade itself yeah. to make the molding. Oh, I mean, I've made molding planes for you specific made. jobs, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, if you're restoring a pilgrim century piece of furniture, yeah, and you want to do it by hand, which you pretty much need to do, mm-hmm. uh, those planes are long gone. You know? Yeah. So... I will make a plane for a specific job. So wow. most, most of the planes over there that I've made are for restoration jobs mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that had to be a specific profile, had to be hand plane. Yeah. Now, do you, um, do you still do restoration at all? Not much. Yeah. I do restoration for people who basically I've done work for for a long time. Yeah. Or they're really good customers and they'll ask me to, to fix something and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But I don't seek restoration work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It's not. There's nothing wrong with it, really. It's just it takes up a lot of space, and um, yes, you know, it's kind of a nuisance. I mean, I I learned a lot doing it, and I did it for a while, but mm-hmm. I'd rather build stuff now. Yeah. Well, this subject was going to come up sooner or later, so I might as well bring it up now, um, because I remember I want to say back in the late '80s, the Nicholas Brown secretary selling yeah. at auction, yeah. and I remember talking to you uh, shortly after when you were commissioned to make. A copy of it, right? Sort of all the people in the entire country, they chose you to copy the most expensive piece of furniture ever sold at auction, which was, I believe, over twelve million dollars. Twelve point one, I think. <laughs> yeah. And a young couple bought it. I remember reading that afterwards. I mean, it was bought. I think maybe Sack bought it for uh, a young couple. Sack or? maybe bought it for Bass, Robert Bass. I think. Can you tell me how how could you? Did you stand beside this original piece? And for for how long to to to? Uh, I actually copy? went to New York and unpacked it. Um, I went to Christie's. They made it was shipped from the from the house in Rhode Island, yeah. Providence, uh, to Christie's in New York. And when Christie's asked me to make the copy, I, you know, I said, okay, when's it going to be there? I'll come down. I'll, yeah. I'll measure it up. So I went down and unpacked it, the bubble wrap, and you know, took it out of the crate and everything myself and another guy. Uh-huh. And I spent uh, two days with a helper measuring it and photographing it and making patterns and the whole deal. I went back home to Maine, um, drew it up, pretty much put all my information down on a couple of sheets of paper, mm-hmm. and then there were gaps in my information, so I went back for another two days mm. with another guy, another friend of mine, and we corrected all the mistakes or filled in the, the gaps, you know. Yeah. And then I drew up, I pretty much drew up a plan for it mm-hmm. and, uh, and, then, and then built it over the course of several years. Yeah, it was years. Now, did did Christie's promise the family the copy if they would sell the original? Is that what the deal was? Yes, I believe that was the deal. They um, they they offered it sort of as a as a you know an incentive. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people like say, "I'll have someone make a nice copy of this painting," and you know, if you sell this painting, I still do that for the auction houses. Actually, for for piece of furniture, yeah, kind of regularly. I did it for a while. You know, if you have a million dollar chest, yeah, and you're shopping it around to sell it, uh-huh. to have it to sell it at auction, yeah. um, the auction houses will offer you a copy. In fact, I got I got calls from both Christie's and Sotheby's within the course of two days one time on the same piece. <laughs> They're trying to close the deal. Both of them were trying to close the deal for the same yeah. same person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, isn't that funny? Again, both the same price, and I don't know why one of them or the other one got it, but I, I ended up making it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I remember I, I talked to you shortly after that, and you told me that 
It was hard to conceive how this piece was made with the tools they had at the time. Um, the original was made in the 1760s or 70s, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the thing that was impressive about that piece, and, you know, I'd heard a lot about Rhode Island furniture and how great it was, and I knew it was yeah. good. But, you know, a lot of stuff that people say is great. You open the drawers, and it's pretty much like everything else. Mm-hmm. This stuff is definitely a notch up as far as quality goes. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, when you looked at it carefully, it was kind of a show-off piece. There was a lot of extra work done yeah. in places where you usually don't see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just just very neatly done. So that was, that was the most impressive thing. Um, mm-hmm. The carving on it was perfect. You know, all this, yeah. all this Newport carving is good. None of it's bad, really. Yeah. Um, and so it was, impre- yeah, it was an impressive piece as far as quality. Yeah, for sure. Thing must have weighed <clears throat> oh, a thousand pounds. A ton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what type of mahogany did you use? I used South American. Um, I actually found some mahogany that it was kind of weird. I, I got some big mahogany boards and I had them split right down the middle, resawn. And um, the piece I used for the center door happened to have this little knot, a little bit of a knot, sort of a, mm-hmm. not even a knot, just a little swirl or a knot near a knot. Uh-huh. And when I cut open the board and laid everything out, all the parts and everything, that's that little defect, there just happened to be one on the original at the exact same spot. Is that it? right? Yeah. Gee, it, it was kind of fun. It was uh, yeah, meant to be. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was kind of, it was, it was interesting. But uh, so the wood I used was pretty much the exact same quality the wood they used. Luckily for me, that piece wasn't, didn't use really exotic, crazy wood. It was pretty much yeah. standard 18th century mahogany. Yeah. Now, it's a Goddard, was that a Goddard Townsend? That was a Goddard. Goddard. Okay. Do, do you know that basically the history of the piece? Not too much. I mean, it's all written down. I've got it in the book. Yeah. Um, you know, it came down to the, the, the Brown. Brown family. Yeah, uh, there, were, there were like four brothers um, in the Brown family, and they each ordered one from Goddard. They each ordered the same? Virtually the same piece. Yeah. This one was the tallest one. And that, that, that is, a, was it a block front secretary? What was the proper term for Yeah, it's a block front secretary. Yeah. Yeah. Six shell. Mm-hmm. Was that signed anywhere? Was no. it piece signed? But did they have, uh, did the family have the original receipt or anything? Yeah, they had all kinds of documentation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's amazing. 1760 till today. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a great, it was a really fun job. I mean, yeah. I was already really busy at the time, actually, doing <laughs> some other museum work. Um, yeah. So I couldn't even get to it for about eight or nine months. Now that had, um, I'm assuming that was the most difficult piece you ever made. Was there probably the most complicated as far as pieces and parts went? Um, the carving, yeah. I mean, yeah. At the time, it was probably the most difficult piece I'd made. Yeah. Um, not by a lot, but by a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, just because mm-hmm. of all the carving and stuff. Yeah. I'd never carved a Newport shell before. I mean, it that wasn't. I wasn't worried about it. It's just I'd never done done those shells. Um, mm. But uh, you know, people ask me, so where's the first Newport shell you ever carved? And I tell them it's on that secretary. <laughs> you know, first one I carved, I carved it and it came out okay. So I said, heck, I'm using it, and I went on to the next one. You know? uh-huh. Now, when you carve like a shell like that, say anything along that lines, how do you match it to the next one in the piece? Well, I mean, you, just, you make just, a pattern. You, know, you, uh-huh. you have to make a pattern and. Uh, you cut it out and trace it, and from then on, it's handwork. So, I mean, it's it's very close to the other ones. It's not going to be a, you know, clone, but it's going to be pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Now, who are your um, customers, of the people that buy furniture that you have made for them today? Like, wait, I just want to talk about, we have this wonderful tea table. It's a sort of a, 
a serpentine with the beautiful uh, molding along the top. Just gorgeous molding. Yeah, this is a Goddard. Fitted, like a fitted. Uh, this is a Goddard uh, rectangular tea table. Uh-huh. Cabrio legs. Uh, very nice light carving on the knees and ending in ball and talon. Very nice. Very nice table. So this is a, a copy of one this of This is a copy of a um, table that was sold at Sotheby's three or four years ago for $8 million. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I made... My son and I made made I made this one, and we decided the carving wasn't quite deep enough when I delivered it to the customer. I mean, I'd gone back uh-huh. and forth with the original. You know, I measured the original. Yeah. And and I delivered this, and they loved it, and they lived with it for about a month. And he called me up and said, "You know, the, the carving is just we think it's a little bit too shallow. Could you recarve it?" And you know, wonderful people to work for. Yeah. And and I said, "You know, yeah, uh, but you know, I think I'll probably make a whole new table." Would it, is it almost easier to make? Yeah. Really? Because yeah, I would have to refinish this and to oh, match yeah. it. And, yeah. You know, so, so I ended up making another one and then another one for them. They decided they wanted to. Oh, so, hey, so it worked out. And so I kept this one. So yeah. That's the only reason I have this. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't normally have this table. Yeah. Now, do you have your, is your home furnished with uh, pieces that you've made? Some. Mm-hmm. You know, some stuff. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, when you work for yourself, it's hard to keep stuff. Yeah. You can't afford yeah. to keep stuff. Yeah, it's just like being an antique dealer. If you have something really nice, it's hard to handle. Yeah, it's like, do I need $10,000 or do I need another table? Yeah. You know, yeah. And if, you know if you've got three kids and you're self-employed cabinet maker, you know, <laughs> the answer is pretty simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the stuff I have is extra chairs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have made some stuff over the years, you know, some tables and mirrors and this and that, but I don't have a house full of my stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right now, it's actually easier to buy really good antiques. Yeah, I know. Prices are the prices very are, good. are amazing. Yeah. It, it's a, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, there's people speculating that it's always going to stay down, but it's hard to believe that. Oh, it's not always going to stay down. I mean, yeah. it's down now. Like the other day I bought a really beautiful, just molded leg Chippendale drop leaf table, mahogany, mm-hmm. for $320. Yeah. I mean, and the thing was it mint, just perfect. I, I, that's something. I put some finish on the top and put it in my house, and I figured that the wood would have cost me about 275 Really? Wow. Just the wood. Yeah. And I got a really beautiful antique table for 320 Yeah. Yeah. I just couldn't resist. I mean, when I go to an auction, I think it was the best piece of furniture at the whole sale. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'm going to buy that because I know it's not going to go for much. Yeah. I actually got four chairs with it, too, <laughs> which I gave away. <laughs> oh, you gave them away? They were fancy chairs. Yeah. yeah. Didn't, didn't work with it? Yeah. 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 Now, you just mentioned your son. Your son's working with you or has learned the trade? Yeah, my son, our son Sam is an extremely good craftsman. Right. Um, and uh, he's been working with me for about four years on and off. You know? Now, did he did he hang out in the shop when he was young and work a little bit then? Not too much. No, not uh, really. Uh-huh. No. I mean, my kids knew what I did, but they didn't, they weren't at the shop a whole lot because the shop was, you know, 10 miles from home. So, yeah, they'd come to the shop occasionally, but they weren't in the shop a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he just uh, he took an interest in you say four years ago. Yeah, I mean he didn't want to go to college. He graduated from high school and he was looking for something to do. And I, I had a bunch of work and I said, well, why don't you just here help me make this? You know, he did mm-hmm. it. And he, he's a natural. Wow. Yeah. And so actually, last last couple of years he's made a, a serpentine front Bombay chest. Really? Which he sold. I can't imagine making a Bombay chest. It was the first chest he's ever made. Which is, is right? it's probably the most difficult chest you can make. I would say so. Just about, you know. Now, yeah, I mean, with those swollen uh, very, sides. Very difficult to build. I don't even know how you, you'd rough cut it out first. It's, and, yeah, it's, you know. at any rate, yeah. he did a great job. Yeah. And we sold it. Oh. And then recently he just built a, 
uh, a Goddard Townsend four drawer chest for a customer. Wow. Yeah, and it came out beautiful. Yeah. Know? So he's extremely good. Uh huh. He's extremely good. And it, he he aspires to keep at this and keep going. Or? That's a question I can't really answer. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, in some ways, I, I I love the fact that he's really good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, and but it's a tough way to make a living. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I almost hope he does something a little bit more yeah. reliable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> not that he's not reliable, just more reliable work. You know. Yeah. When my son was uh, uh, helping me one time with an auction. We were at an outdoor auction. He had, like, picture frames on his arms carrying him, and he had a soda in his hand. And he said, I just wanted to let you know that when I grow up, this is not what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, well, that's cool. That's cool. I was actually relieved, so I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting business, and sometimes yeah. it's really fun, and sometimes it's not. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as romantic as, you know, people think it is. Yeah. I mean, you, a lot of times... I love it. I mean, I love it, but... You have to love it to do the type of work you do. Yeah. And uh, I saw you, what was it, last year or the year before in San Francisco? You came out there and did a le- lecture and yeah. some carving? You did yeah, little... I was at the San Francisco Decorative Arts Guild, I think it was. Yeah. Giving a talk and I did a little carving, yeah. 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 I travel around. I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of the, you know, whatever, a handful of people that, that knows about this period stuff to, mm-hmm. to a pretty deep extent, you know. Yeah. Just because yeah. of my background. So uh, people ask me to come and talk about connoisseurship and... And furniture and craftsmanship mm-hmm. and and uh, particular styles and stuff. So you know, I love doing it. It's really fun. You meet, you meet yeah. great people. Oh yeah, you go to very neat places. And yeah, I think you were out there in the dead of winter, and you said, I think it was <laughs> November. Oh, you said, yeah, that's right. You said we're getting ready for the deep freeze, is what you told me. Yeah, it was beautiful <laughs> in November. It was actually and, nicer and in November than it was in June. I was out there in June. Oh really? Yeah, a year before, and yeah. it was kind of cold. And the cold. weather's kind of weird out there yeah as far as predicting what's going to happen yeah but but so i travel around and, and do and you know i try to give out some good information yeah know, basically yeah let's talk about your school um when did you start that uh i think my first class was in 03 mm-hmm. um i had taught at other places previously on and off for probably a long time mm-hmm. but i decided to teach here yeah uh, so now i teach classes in a lot of carving because I, I do a great deal of carving. Yeah. Um, introductory carving plus other stuff that's more advanced. Uh, and I do teach some project classes, like this table we're sitting at. is a two-week class. Really? Uh, I've had some other two-week classes and more complicated joinery pieces. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm trying to teach hand tool, exclusively hand tool woodworking. Wow. In the 18th century manner most of the time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people come here who... Who really like to use hand tools and and like early furniture? You know, they're just they're people that are passionate about their hobby, and it's mostly hobbyists. Mm-hmm. Um, How far do people come from? Oh, they come from West Yellowstone, uh, Florida, uh-huh. you name it, California. Any, have you ever have anyone from an, another country? Uh, yes, yes, I had someone from um, Greece mm-hmm. and uh, oh, from New York City. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, it's like another country. <laughs> yeah, it can be. No, that's a short. Yeah, no, it's yeah. mostly from people from around the country. But I got yeah. people from all over. They come yeah. from all over. What's a, what's a, can you describe the average person to attend your class? The average person that comes here is probably male, fifty to sixty years old, um, retired from their job, which they've usually been fairly successful at, mm-hmm. um, or they're still working 
on a part-time basis. Uh, mm -hmm. Very passionate about their hobby. They've usually done this throughout their life to some extent. Mm -hmm. And and now that they have more time and money, they are devoting their full time to it. Yeah. You know, so I get guys who, they make some gorgeous stuff. I was just going to ask you, did you ever have, have you had a student come in here that you went, whoa, that's someone really talented? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I've had people come in here who have done a lot of really nice work. Mm -hmm. Really nice work. And the advantage these guys have is as a hobby, you can spend a lot of time. Yeah. You know, when you're doing it for a living, you kind of have to crank it out. Yes. But so yeah. some of these guys do fantastically beautiful work. Um, they're not as versed in the methods and the tool use as I am because, it, you mm -hmm. know, they can't be. I've done it solid for 35 years. Mm. Um, but they're darn good and they're good learners. They ask good questions. Yeah. They're devoted to their hobby. Yeah. You know, really devoted and great people to work with. And I've oh, had women, too. It's not just guys. Yeah. Uh, I've had women come here who... Um, I love to have women come here because I think generally they're they're intimidated by coming into a class full of guys because I think I think women woodworkers feel that guys sort of naturally born woodworkers, which mm -hmm. of course is not true, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so women are actually great carvers and generally oh, yeah. generally the good with hand tools. Of, the carvers of Cincinnati or Ohio, or the women carvers uh, there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but so I mean, I love to have I love to have women come in and take classes. They're great, um, and you know, it just breaks things up. It's nice to have a change. And uh, um, but uh, I've had husband and wife teams come and work on a project together, mm -hmm. which is great. You know, they have a good time. Yeah. No arguments. <laughs> no, no, not usually. <laughs> not in front of me, anyway. Yeah. yeah. And so your schools run, your classes run. I start generally in April and go through. Oh, you know. I went into the winter last year. I had some weekend classes for local people. Yeah. You know, traveling here in the winter can be yeah, can, can be unreliable. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll have uh, weekend classes, a lot of them in the fall and in the spring. And during the summer months, I have week and two-week classes. Can you describe what the classes are? Um, or they, do they change every year? They change, but I have certain ones that I repeat. I have a lot of carving classes. I repeat I have an introductory carving class. Mm -hmm. uh, that can be taken by pretty much anybody who feels that they can has little confidence to try to carve. Mm -hmm. um, Newport carving class, which does just the the uh, motifs you find in Newport. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Federal carving uh, class on eagle carving an eagle. Really? Yeah, I didn't know you did that. Wow. Yeah, Newport tea table class. Um, I made a a box. I have an introductory sort of woodworking basics class. Mm -hmm. Where I make a little dovetail box with a sliding lid with veneers and stuff, and, and so just a lot of different skills rolled into one project. Um, I am I've made a I've had a Bombay chess class, wow, which is a two week at least class. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have had a um, oh what else? I've built uh, tables like little federal work tables mm -hmm. as a class. And, and the other thing I do is people will call me and say, you know, we want to build. For instance, some guys call me and say we want to build. Um, a southern tea table made by this guy, Peter Scott. Mm -hmm. And we really like it, and we want you to teach us how to do it. And I'll say, fine, get five guys together. Oh, wow. Measure the piece up. Uh -huh. Come on up, and we'll do it. So you get five guys in the class, so... Yeah, I've, yeah. I had, I've had six or seven guys call me up and say, we want to build a Newport tea table. That's when I first did that class. Do they actually bring the piece they want to copy? No. So how do you know how to do a table, exactly what they're talking about? Well, I mean... There's a certain vocabulary, vocabulary of techniques that was used in the 18th century, mm -hmm. and I know them basically. Yeah. 
Um, so there's, there aren't any exotic techniques you're going to run into, the, stuff, the kind of stuff these guys want to make. So I'll either have them go find one and measure it, or I'll go find one and measure it. I see. I oh. rarely make anything without laying my hands on the original. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, how about Apprentice? Have you ever had an Apprentice besides your son's? No. No. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about apprentices anyway, because um, I've, I know, like in you know the yeah. early period time, the apprentice would say make a drawer, or he would you know and, and right, uh, right. What was the role of the apprentice? Well, the apprentice system was pretty formalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came from the English system, you know, where these yeah. guys most of them came from, and you know you would start basically sign yourself up at a young age, and you commit yourself to work for this master for a certain number of years and the end of which he'd provide you with you would have the skills to continue to craft and he'd provide you with usually a set of tools mm-hmm. and during that time he'd uh, house you and clothe you and you know pretty much watch out for you yeah uh, and if you ran away he'd go and drag you back uh, and if you ran away <laughs> so it's too almost many like times, indentured in a well yeah and if, if yeah. you ran away too many times he'd say you know maybe you should try something else yeah uh, and they'd let him go but um <laughs> Yeah, so the disadvantage with teaching yourself these days is that uh, in order to tie into that tradition, you either have to go to a woodworking school or try to figure it out on your own, hmm. which is difficult. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, basically we've replaced apprentices with machinery. Wow. So the yeah. apprentice that would be sawing up the boards and yeah. planing them down to one inch and cutting them off to the right length and making sure everything's perfect for you. Now we do that with machines. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in, in a simplistic way, that's the way that trade has progressed. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of taking an apprentice these days is hard because you can't really bind someone to you. You know, back yeah. then, um, you would lose money on your apprentice for a while Yeah. while you were teaching them. You mm-hmm. basically have to put more into them than you were getting out. Yeah. But there was a break point during that apprenticeship where the apprentice would actually be able to make things. Mm-hmm. And since you, were, since you were still just supporting him and not paying him much of a wage or anything, you could start to make money on your apprentice, where towards the end of the apprenticeship, you'd sort of recoup your investment in your apprentice because you could bill him out as a cabinet maker or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and get the money, and you're still just providing him room and board. Um, mm-hmm. But nowadays, I mean, if I took, take someone as, as, quote, an apprentice, they can leave any time they want. Right. And, yeah. you know... The you guy, teach them just enough and then they go off... Yeah. That's what happens. I yeah. mean, the guy I used to work for at the museum said, yeah, this apprentice stuff here is, is blown. You know, I get someone in, and after two months, they figure they'd know all that. It's taken me 60 years to learn, and they'd be gone. Wow. You know, yeah. and, and they'd say, well, I, I worked with, you know, yeah. so-and-so, and yeah. which would be false advertising because they, they don't know all you know. Yeah. And they're basically riding on your coattails, coattails which, I mean, I'm not saying everybody's like that, but that's the worst-case scenario. So... Yeah. Um, so taking an apprentice is really not much of an option these days. Yeah. Instead, what you do is you teach people for money. I see. Essentially, you start yeah. school. Yeah. Right. And so. Good thinking. Hopefully, you have the skills enough mm-hmm. to be qualified to teach people. Yeah. And and the problem with this country is that there's no, for for instance, in doing what I do, there's no real certification. You know, whereas in Europe, like in Germany, if you're cabinet maker, yep. you have to pass a test. I mean, really? You have to go through an apprenticeship. You can't just call yourself a cabinet maker any mm-hmm. more than you can call yourself in this country a, a physician. You know, mm-hmm. you have to get the piece of paper, do the do the apprenticeship. But in this country, 
um, you you could you know Marty Willis, you could hang out a sign that says Master Cabinet Maker outside your door. No one's going to challenge you. No one's going to challenge you because yeah. what's uh, there's no certification. You know, there's no there's no really qualification. So uh, that little office up there is available. I was thinking about actually renting that. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> People walk by your go to your school to walk yeah, right by. Yeah, you first. Drag them in with a little cane. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so in this country, it can be frustrating because. Um, a lot of people call themselves master this and master that. Um, yeah. I don't call myself a master because I never apprenticed and I didn't go through a system. Mm-hmm. I'm probably as close to a master as you can get doing it the way I did it. I see. Uh-huh. You know, and other people call me a master, but I, I won't. Mm-hmm. Just on principle. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I don't accept the fact that um, you can just call yourself a master at will. Yeah. It's really, it's a little can be false advertising to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. So when you see master cabinet maker, you, you got ask them who they trained with, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those things where um, what really matters is the quality of your work. Yeah. Well, we're just about ready to wrap this up, but I, the last question I wanted to ask you, where do you see the future of this quality craftsman as yourself? Do you think that this will be carried on, like the next Alan Breed and, you know, on and on and on? Um, it's a little scary because I see the age of my clients going up. Yes, as with all people that collect really fine antiques. And so I worry that younger people do not appreciate craft and handwork and that type of skill. Mm-hmm. Most people are, are pinched economically and they're looking for something that they can afford. Yeah. My stuff is not affordable to the average guy, Yeah, unfortunately. I wish it was, you know? yeah. but it's just not. Yeah. And so we're depend people like me are depending on more and more these days teaching. You see yeah. a lot of guys hanging out a shingle to teach. Uh-huh. Uh, because that's a good way to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, but also on a very small niche of educated and uh, appreciative clients, mm-hmm. customers. So you need someone who can afford the work mm-hmm. and appreciates the work. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's there are plenty of people that can afford it. Yeah. The money is not a problem. Yeah. It's the people who are willing to spend it. Yeah. You know, like my line is, you know, people will buy a Ferrari because everybody knows when you drive a Ferrari, you've made it, right? Mm-hmm. But people won't buy a $30,000 chest of drawers because they put it in their house and everyone will walk right by it. Yeah, that's right. And so and, and so if you're trying to show off... Not everyone. Not everyone. You know, the... Right. But the, but the you bulk in there, of your, would, of your yeah. friends yeah. are going to walk by and go, oh, nice chest. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and not appreciate the time and beauty. Right. So if you're trying to impress somebody, you're not going to buy a bunch of handmade furniture, probably. Yeah. It, it, the people who really are the best customers, the people who just love this stuff. They just love the stuff. Mm-hmm. They love the work. They like knowing the person that made it. Yeah. And there's a certain value to that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very satisfying. I have great relationships with customers. That's good. That's awesome. they're like, some of them are like family. Yeah. And um, they appreciate what I do, and they trust me. Yeah, you know, to do good work, and uh, they know that my body of knowledge is sufficient to do what they need done. Yeah. And so, so the future of the, of the trade is, to me, up in the air. Mm. Uh, that's why I'm a little nervous to, you know, to have, for instance, my son continue it because I really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's a little scary. Um, yeah. So, the answer is I don't know what's going to happen. I hope that, and I, I bet you that the pendulum will swing back. And there's been a lot of people speculating that. Yeah. Of course it will swing back. I mean, yeah. I think as a historian, mm-hmm. I know it will swing back. It's just a question of to what extent and how long it's going to take. 
I think that what's going to happen is going to be sort of a Luddite, uh, you know, reaction to everything uh, sort of digital, mm-hmm. you know. And I, and yeah. I think people will people will start to look at things that aren't mass produced, aren't that are real. computer, yeah. that are Art actually team. made by a human being. Yeah. It's like the price of paintings is still right up there. That's right. And the price of great furniture is still right up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, it is a narrow market. Yeah. You know, it's a narrow market. Yeah. So um, in order to carve out a niche in this market, you've got to have a handful of people who really appreciate you. That's right. So where would someone find you online? Alan Breed, A-L-L-A-N-B-R-E-D.com, or okay. The Breed School. All right, excellent. And, uh, well, this has been great. Yeah, it's been nice to see you, Marty. Yeah. All right, so this is Martin with Alan Breed, and we're signing off. Mm-hmm.